Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Let me talk just a minute about uh, some of the things that's happening in the future. Uh, those of you who have children for vacation Bible school age, make sure you register them before you go home out there. Michelle's at the table at the bottom of the ramp. Stop there long enough to get, get the youngsters so we know how many to prepare for and, and so we can do our job right. Second thing, I want to talk just a little bit about um, that track chair that's out there. I have a button that fell off of something. There it is. Now you can honestly say I don't have all my buttons. Okay. Is that the problem? All right. Yes, the boss. And uh, anyway, we figured out that uh, if, if we get rid of all of those little coin banks, if everybody takes one and keeps your coins in them, and we fill those things up and dump them three times, we can pay for the track chair. It's $12,200. And, uh, and so if you haven't gotten one of the coin banks, take one. And, and, and the, first, the first time we want to dump them, it would be scheduled would be the last weekend of June. I think it's like June 24 and 25, something like that. And then I forget the next date, that we'll, but we'll let you know well ahead of time and then right and then sometime in, in probably in October we'll have the last one and that should get it paid for. Uh, we, have, we have not selected the recipient. We, the, the Veterans Association, however it's called, said that they have uh, five uh, prospective candidates and we'll get their names and interview them and so on. These are people who cannot walk and can't get around without some kind of help, and they're people who have actually served in combat, and and uh, and they uh, th that chair originally was designed not not for veterans. There was an old farmer, as I understand it, in uh, Minnesota, who had lost use of his. He was my age, and he'd lost uh, use of his legs, and he couldn't get around, and. He couldn't go out in different areas of his farm, and he designed that sucker and had it made so he could get around. And then the military people got a hold of it and, and uh, have been, and, and just thousands of them have been distributed now to, to military people all over our country, and we want to do that. Uh, the other thing that needs to be mentioned is someone ma here made this suggestion. They said, uh, I'm a veteran, but, and I've got a friend who never goes to church. I've been trying to get him to church, and, but he will come and hear Ollie North, the, our speaker for that evening. And uh, is there some way that, uh, that the veterans can uh, invite somebody? And so we decided that's a really good idea. So all of you who are veterans that have registered, uh, we'll get you a little piece of paper, and you can write if you want to have another veteran and his wife uh, to or if it's the opposite, if it's it's a female and 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 her husband, uh, and and it would allow them to have two tickets, because everybody who gets in the door will have to have a ticket, and that's the only way we can control it, and and um, we'll have something like seventy 
table 72 maybe uh, and so we'll sometime I'm, I'm leaving Tuesday Alice Kay and I uh, along with Norm Campbell and Becky will be going to Uganda for a few days on to do some work there that needs to be done and as soon as we get back we'll try to have that so you veterans will have the piece of paper that you can fill out with who that would be and and we can make arrangements to see that uh, they they get a couple of tickets at least one or two if they, they request them so uh, uh, and then later on when uh, we'll have to have some volunteers from the people here at church uh, we already have those who will be serving the, the meal out there we've got those names down and because we uh, it's it's a really a big job to get it so that there are 700 people who know exactly what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it and we're in the process of working that out. So be patient with us and and uh, and hang in there with us. And we need to get that thing paid for because we'd borrowed the money and and it's my name on the little piece of paper. And so I really hope you hurry up and get it paid for. You know. And uh, okay, uh, now let's talk about the sermon. Uh, last week Rick introduced. Uh, or Matthew, or somebody, whoever preached last week, introduced the book of John. This is 1 John. Now, John actually wrote five books. And, and five fingers are a real good way to help you learn, memorize a bunch of things about the Bible. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are actually called the first five books of the Bible. The name is Penta, which is five. Tuk, in Hebrew, book. So it's five books, and, and of course, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But, and there are five major prophets. And John wrote five books. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Singular, not Revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the actual title for the last book in the, in the Bible. Now, what I would like to encourage you to do, and insist as best I can that you read the entire book of 1 John while we're going through this series every day. Now, the reason I say that is because it, it, it's something all of us really need, number one. Number two, I started reading it, and I have a, a CD in my car that I listen to every day it's over and over and over and over again. And... Uh, I can tell you that when I first started reading it out loud, it took me 17 minutes. But this week, sitting on the commode, I got it done reading out loud in 15 minutes. That's what it, so you got 50, surely to goodness you're on the pot 15 minutes a, a, a day. Take your Bible and you can read 1 John while you're there and everything will work out fine. You know. <clears throat> now then, let's get down to what we're talking about here. The Bible, including 1 John, was written because some early Christians in the early church were having difficulties. They had questions. And, they were having, and there were people who were coming into the church who had been in the church and left them, come back into the church and, you know, this is a bad deal, get out, da, da, da. I mean, they were... And our church suffers from that. We have, we'll have a church start out in the boondocks and people will come. Why don't you come? You know, they won't miss you at Christ's community. Yes, we will. Yeah, we will. Because if the check isn't there, I check and see what happened to you. you know. 
not really. But anyhow, but that happens all the time. And uh, instead of going after lost people, they, that's the way it works. Not a good thing, but that's the way it works. So it was written, and they had problems with, uh, okay, I've become a Christian. My sins are all forgiven. I have a new life in Christ, and then I sin again. Now what? Do I have to get saved again? Do I, what, what do I do? Am I lost? And, and so John addresses that problem. He says, and, and he just does it right straight off the bat there in, at the end of chapter 1. So what's the answer? They wanted to know. Then, and then there's a, there's a, they had other problems. And, and he actually, when you read it, you'll see, he, he actually says, this is why I'm writing to you. Because they raised that question. And then he attempts to answer it. And the answer he gave came directly from God to them. He was just the instrument of giving them the answer. We have many of the same questions. People, I had a good friend, I've told you about him before, he's dead now, he worked down at, uh, at Bob Evans' restaurant, and, and, and uh, he, he'd come over and he said, I got saved again last night. Okay. He said, that makes seven times. I said, well, that's a good number. I didn't fuss with him, you know. And he didn't know any better. And, and, and uh, you just, you know, brag on him, encouraging him, and let it go at that. And... Because, let's see, number, chapter 2 starts this way. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't sin. It means that you want to cease living the life of a sinner and start living the life of a Christian. And when you do, you'll continue to fall short of the glory of God. And now he's going to tell you, and he's going to give you the answer, what should you do then? And he does it almost immediately. Listen, he says, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You talk about a good lawyer. You got a winner on that one. And see, so he, he, is, he is telling you the answers to the questions they have raised. Uh, and so the, and, and the people were saying, well, how do we know that we're saved? Now, there are those then and now who says, you must have an emotional experience. Then you'll know you're saved. The Pentecostal churches have always said, and the apostolic churches that are around here will say, you know, uh, you, 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 you have to be baptized, and then you have to speak in tongues to prove that, you were, that you've really received the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and that's usually involved in an, and some kind of emotional experience. But what about the people who don't speak in tongues because not everybody speaks in tongues according to the Apostle Paul. What about them who do not have an emotional experience? It's just a matter of acting in faith. What about them? How do they know? And so he, he deals with it. He says in, in, in verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. And that is something you do willingly, not because somebody's standing over you with a stick. I want, Jesus, you know, talked about that. So, uh, what I want you to understand is what we're talking about today are questions that Christians had raised to this old apostle John. And he lived longer than any. He probably died 
uh, close to 100 uh, A.D. And he was just a kid, you remember, when Jesus was carrying out his ministry. And, and Jesus, uh, and, 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 and it was an, just an interesting story that we don't have time for now. Now, they also had false teachers that were telling them stuff that wasn't... For instance, the Apostle Paul was chased all over the Mediterranean world by a well-organized group who thought that Christianity should be an arm of Judaism. And so they followed him around, and after he would preach and there would be converts, then, he would go, then they would go to those converts and say, now what he told you about Jesus, that's all good and everything, I'm glad you're a baptized believer, all that kind of stuff, but have you been circumcised? If you haven't been circumcised, then so circumcision would then have made them as a covenant part of the Jews. And the Apostle Paul, he, he got so mad at this bunch that the language that he used about them was so colorful that I can't even, I don't even want to repeat it today. That, that my pot story was clean compared to what he said. Because they were false teachers. It is a matter of simply trusting Jesus with all of your heart. And not all these things that you can do. And so, anyway, that, that was one of their problems. These people were called Judaizers that followed him around. And, uh, and there were others that, that had, there was a, a, a problem that developed in the early church. And uh, it was, they had brought some pagan religion into the early church into what became the most difficult heresy of the first several hundred years of the church it was called Gnosticism it comes from a Greek word to know uh, Gnosko is the Greek word for knowledge and, 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 uh, and Gnostics were those who had special knowledge did you ever run into anybody who said, you know, uh, they, they've, they've got some special knowledge that they think that everybody ought to have, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and the God talkers scare me to death, you know, anyway. So, uh, and, and, and that, that heresy has been revived many times in the history of the church. Many times. And then there was, and, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, identify when we start identifying some things. And um, because many people have participated in it unknowingly, and because they're nice people. They really are nice people. Most of them are. And, uh, uh, but anyhow, in 1969, a guy wrote a book that in two years, in 1972, became number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And it stayed that way for almost three years. The book was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. It was a tremendous seller and probably the single biggest influence in anti-Christian philosophy that our country has ever known. Because... People said, we've got to quit using the word sin because it makes people feel guilty. The problem was they were. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible tells us how to deal with it. And uh, he was a physician. His last name was Harris, uh, Tom, Dr. Thomas Anthony Harris. 
and he became world famous. And it became, uh, his philosophy was called transactional, transactional, transactional analysis, yeah. And it was, it, it was the rage among all psychologists and even a lot of the psychiatrists. And so slowly within the educational system here in the United States, psychology replaced the Bible. You didn't any longer, you didn't any longer have sin. You had emotional troubles that you had to go to a psychologist for, and, and you kept going back. It's like going to, uh, uh, what do they call these guys that pop your backs? Uh, back popper? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, you know, you don't go once. You get by a book, and you keep going back and get adjusted. You know, I don't get adjusted to that kind of stuff. That's clever if you get onto it. Anyway, anyway, but it helps some people. It honestly does. They get relief and so on and so forth. So it, it has its purpose. But <clears throat> I need a snort. Well, within our and and that book by Harris became one of the reasons why the Bible is not mentioned in schools anymore. Uh, they, they took over the school system, the, 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 that particular philosophy took over the school system, and it took over most of the uh, law schools in the, state, in, the, in the United States. So if you want to know what's taking place, and there's a reason why all this happened, and the Bible and the book of John in the chapter 2 that we're going through here in a minute actually tells us why it all happened. And, and we need to know that. Now... Uh, Let's look. Let's follow through quickly as we can in the opening part of uh, <clears throat> of your sermon outline. How can Christians know that they're saved? John wants to address that problem. Number one, in verse five, as we read, he said, "If you willingly are trying to obey the commands of Jesus, and there's one in particular, if you're willingly trying to do that." you know that the Spirit of God lives in you, urging you to be obedient. So that is proof of the fact that you have been born again. And that's just one of the proofs. And he ended up by saying, in, the, in, in verse 6, he says, whoever claims to live in Christ or abide in Him must walk as Jesus did. Now, which means then, what happened to Jesus? What, what happened to Him so that He set the example for us in everything. He answers that question, and we'll deal with that a little later on. But he's saying, you know, Jesus has to be your example, and he has to be your hero that you pattern your life after. He is your life pattern. The Apostle Paul said it this way <coughs> to people who were having difficulty with that, and they were having trouble get, believing they could get directly to Jesus. So the Apostle Paul said, well, let's do it this way. I'll follow Jesus, and you follow me. And that will make you a follower of him, too. And so he, he made it easy for them. Because they said, we need somebody we can see that we can follow. And so the Apostle Paul said, well, for me to live as Christ, you follow me, and you will live for Christ until he's formed inside of you, too. Fully formed in you. Now... So, and, the, and then he says, okay, we need, we've got these proofs of the fact that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And the next one is this. And he spells this out <clears throat> here in verse 10, 
when he says, Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. The light means in truth, you're following the Lord, the light of the world. He talks about, Jesus said that he was the light. John said he wasn't, but it was Jesus in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. And so what he's telling us is this. If you love the church, if you love each other, that kind of love that God loves you with, that you're loving each other with, is proof that you're saved. That's the biggest weakness in the church. It's the single biggest weakness in the church. Our testimony too often is those people don't get along with each other. They fuss and they fight and they blah, 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 blah. And people break off and go do their own thing. It, it happens all the time. And so the, the, an old sinner down in Joe's Bar and Grill looks at this and says to himself, more fellowship in here than he is at that place. Why should I go? Be? There's a friend of mine that does janitorial work and maintenance work and so on and so forth. And I was talking to him about it. He said, hey, look, I'm going to take my chances. I get along with the people here that I work with a lot better than, than I see, hear Christians getting along with each other. So why should I go that bunch? I thought it took a lot of nerve just to say that to a preacher. But he did, and, and too often he's right. Too often he's right. And so he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Now this raises a question that I don't have the answer for. I have a suspicion, but I don't have a clear-cut statement that I can say. Here's the question that I raise. Can a person go to heaven who doesn't agape love? Now, we better think about that. Because John sort of indicates probably not. Because, see, what we have done is we've made it easy to join a church. Join, you could join every church in Saudi County and still go to hell. It is, are you in fellowship with Christ and each other or not? And if you, if you belong to a church and you're not in fellowship, it means nothing except you've wasted some ink on a piece of paper somewhere. And so he's saying the only way that sinners know who Jesus is is if they can see him in us. And the way you see him in us is by the way we treat each other. And so he addresses this problem of people. He said, now dear friends, here in verse 7, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. I'm, I'm, re, I'm restating it to you. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that, what is that new command? That you love each other. Jesus was asked by people who knew the Old Testament law and they said to him, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love God with all your heart and each other the same way. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so when you look at this, uh, when he says in verse 11, whoever hates his brothers in darkness and walks around in darkness, 
He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. It seems to me that John is saying, if you hate your brother, you can't be walking in light. It's pretty straight talk. And, and you know what? I kind of like pretty straight talk. Now, he says, and at the same time, the problem is with all of us, the temptation to love the world and the things in the world. And so he says, starting in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus put it this way. He said, there's, there's mam, the God called mammon is the God of things, and there's the true and the living God, and you can't love both. You either love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. You have to choose. And so he, he points out to it. He said, here's the problem. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, this verse 16, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. Here are the three things that we, we all struggle with. And I think you better listen to them because they become, they hit us. This same thing is dealt with in the 8th chapter of, of the book of Romans. where the, In verse 15, just to make it quick, uh, get my eyes focused in here where he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. That's uh, nah, not the right one. What's wrong with me? Oh, I know what it is. Those who are living according to the sinful nature have their minds set on that what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. What the natural man desires is the cravings of the natural person. And then, he, then he gets more specific. He says, the lust of the eyes. Now, mankind is, the, is separated into two different things, men and women. Now, our current culture is trying to confuse that. But let's look at what is the, lust, the problem of the lust of the eyes for men. You don't have to have a Ph.D. to figure this out. It's a classy chassis on a woman. And an e a classy chassis on a car. Do you remember when you got your driver's license at 16 years old? You wanted a car. You know why you wanted a car? That's the way you got the girl. That's the way I got my girl. I inherited some money, and I bought a 1953 Ford Victoria with the sexiest lights in the back seat you ever saw. Alice Kay could not see me, but she saw that car. She chased me all over Carter County till she finally caught me. And she got the car and me. It was a winning proposition, you know. Now then, let's talk about the women. Women are different. Women make their choices because of things different from men. Women, the lust of the eyes. What is it? Well, the first one is men. I mean, they see, you know, a real stud hoss, and they look at him, and if you notice, and, and they do. They don't miss any of that. 
And then the women want security. Why? Because they want to build their nest and have their babies and take care of them. That's the way God put the woman together, and it's a really good thing. So they're looking for security. Did you ever see, and I bet you have, some old boy, no hair on his head, belly hanging over his belt, walking down the street, arm out, with the most beautiful babe on his arm you ever saw? And you say to yourself, a good-looking stud hoss like me, and she's with him? What you don't see is his left rear pocket. It's full of money. And she sees in that hunk of humanity the capacity to have her home, because that's a big deal to a woman. Her home, her babies, build her nest. She's motivated differently. And the last one is Facebook. Women love Facebook. Now, the problem with all of these is who's behind it? Who's behind all of this? Who's behind loving the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of accomplishments? That's the last one. And both men and women fall into this. You know, it's, it's the guy who's all the time telling you how good he was when he played basketball or something. Now, that's kind of clever if you just get a hold of it. And it's also a confession. <laughs> all right? Now, who's behind all of this? Loving the world and the things in the world. What we forget because we are told God is in control of everything, and ultimately he is. But between the time man fell and the time that God rings down the per curtain on all of creation, Satan's running the show, folks. He's running the show. If you look at, uh, well, let's see here. If you look in the Gospel of John in chapter 12, uh, chapter 16 both, you will hear this same John saying, Satan is the prince of this world. So if you love the world and the things of the world, he says, don't because Satan is controlling that. And you'll be shocked to learn that, <coughs> that the most influential people in this whole world are actually people that Satan has a tremendous influence with. Tremendous influence. And I, I, and you know, and the thing about Satan that makes it funny is they feel that that's their religion. These people, that if you look at many of the political, in the political arena, many of these people, they have religious fervor. Why? Because what they're doing is their religion. They're running the world. And they want to run the world. And they do it with religious fervor. And you know why? It's because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He looks good. And he leads these people to believe, you're doing good. Let me, let me show you. Let's play a little game for a few minutes. And then I have to move on quickly. 
Let's play a little game. Let's play the game. Let's identify the Antichrist. Now, let, let me read a passage of Scripture first. You can do this. Starting at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Everybody says, who's the Antichrist? Who? And he's saying, forget that. That's not the problem. Here's the problem. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us. They were never from us, but they acted religious and so on and so forth. How do you know they're an antichrist? Because he said so. Here's what he says. It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. He's an atheist. Atheists are antichrists. Let's see how good you are. Show me an antichrist. Who is he? Fidel Castro. You did good. I'm giving the easy ones first. Second one? Who? Stalin. Jo Joseph Stalin. They didn't spell his name right, but that's all right. It's, it's J-O-S-E-F in, in, in his. Who is this cat? His, his last name is N-U, New. He, he's uh, uh, he's the, the problem we're dealing with over in North Korea. I think he's kind of crazy, really. But here's his name. Kim Jong-un. <clears throat> okay. Another one? Who is this? Huh? Hugh Hefner. Very good. Old Hugh Hefner. Somebody told me I looked a lot like him, and I hit him. All right, Hugh Hefner, a, 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 an outspoken atheist. Who's this? Now, this is the daddy of them all. Who is it? Karl Marx, very good. Karl Marx, who, who wrote the Communist Manifesto and, and got that whole thing going. Brilliant old philosopher. All right, this one you may not know, but man, is he brilliant and is he successful. He's English. He's a teacher. He's brilliant. Who is he? Stephen Hawking. Yeah, he is really, really a bright man. This next one you'll know. Bill Maher. As outspoken atheist as there is in the country. I mean, he badmouths everybody. He's at least consistent. Uh, okay, this one, uh, an old one. Who is it? Lenin. His name is Vladimir Lenin. That's right. A brilliant communist who was really... Now, who's this, you, you current folks? Who is it? Jodie Foster. And she's an interesting one. She's a lesbian girl who is very popular, very intelligent, very well-educated. And you would probably never guess who her best friend is. Her best friend is also, has played with her before in, in movies, and he actually wrote and produced and paid for the movie, The Passion of Christ. Who was it? Mel Gibson. Her best friend is Mel Gibson. Interesting relationship, as I see it. But, uh, okay, who, who else? Who is this old guy? Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong, the leader of, and the founder, really, of, the, uh, of, of communism as it exists currently in, in China. Another one? 
Now this one's a little tougher, and the kids who uh, in college would have an upper hand on you on this one. You may not know this one, but man, is he influential. Who is he? Does anybody know? Who said that? Hey, 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 you're exactly right. How old are you? 20. The Lord bless you. Uh, now, the reason I told you, Richard Dawkins probably in the field of science may be one of the most influential, uh, brilliant guys. He's English, uh, rich because he's sold books by the tons. But man, is he influential and a really outspoken antichrist. Really outspoken. One more, and then we'll, we'll move on. Who is this? You see him on television all the time. You remember they hit the golf balls, and they go here, there, and everywhere, and he's getting on an airplane because he owns an airline, and he picks up the golf ball, smiles, and puts it in his pocket. Who is he? Richard Branson. And he, of all of these different people, is the only one who said out loud, I wish I could believe. So maybe there's hope for him. Because if you go on the Internet, you can actually find a list of 50 of the most famous atheists, all of whom, according to the Scripture, are antichrists because they don't believe in either the Father or the Son. And he says, these are the antichrists. So I, I think it's important that you understand that these guys actually work for the devil and probably don't even know it. He who is the, who is the, the God of this world, the, 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 the prince of this world, as John described him in more than one instance. And a guy who really looks good. He looks good. Sin always looks kind of enticing, doesn't it? Now, let's move on. So, uh, you know, these, I, I, I need to take just a minute here. And uh, this thing doesn't feel right. But I guess it's okay. I, I need to tell you a joke I heard this week. And then I gotta move quickly. It was it's a religious joke. And you need to know this so it's about Adam and Eve. Now the story was that Adam had to look over and tend the garden and he was in the habit of coming home kinda late. And Eve said, Adam, you're not catting around with another woman, are you? And he said, Eve, you're crazy. This is unreasonable. You're the only woman there is. How could I be running around with it? But you know how women are. So he just rolled over and went to sleep. That's the way men are. And all of a sudden, he had a pain in his side that is just unbearable. And he woke up, and there was Eve standing over top of him. And he said, woman, what are you doing? She said, I'm counting your ribs. <laughs> For the rest of you, it'll make sense directly. Just hang on. It'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> now... Here's the way this whole thing ends up. He ends up, and I have to do this quickly. He ends up by saying, here's how you know you're a Christian. You're willingly obeying 
and you're learning to love people, and you're treating them the way, and you're modern, mold, and you're you're molding your life after Christ Himself. And then there's one other thing. You have the anointing. Now, here's another area, Ralph, and I've talked about this a lot. He has a Pentecostal background. I mean, he's been everything. He's been a Baptist. He's been a Methodist. He's been a Pentecostal. And now he's nothing because he's with us, and we don't have any, we don't have any kind of relationship with, with any organization as an independent church. But I'll tell you this. If there's a man of God, he's it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that. Now, The anointing. It's really misused. I hear Pentecostals in particular saying, Oh, that was an anointed sermon. It wasn't anointed. It was an emotional experience. And the two are not even remotely related in the Bible. It's all right to say we had an emotional experience, but don't call it something it ain't. It's not an, it's not an anointing because there's only one anointing in the Bible. And here's, here's how it looked like in Jesus' life. What do you see happening here? What is that? That's a dove. What does a dove represent? It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit descended on him. And, he, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now the liberals say that's when he was just a man and that's when, Jesus, when God adopted him. Honestly, and you got preachers here in town who say that. Liberals are people who don't really believe the Bible, but have said that we live in a closed universe and there's a cause for everything and God, he doesn't exist, blah, 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 blah. Now, the anointing is the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And that's a one-time experience. Because he doesn't come and go because his is not a counterfeit anointing. It's the real thing. And he comes and he stays. And, and the Hebrew writer actually said, you know, that, that's exactly what he does. He comes and he stays. That's in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And, and John actually makes reference to that when he says this. Let's read it. I'm writing these things to you about those things you're trying, uh, that, that people are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. It doesn't come and go. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. In the New Testament, he stays put. And you do not need, need anyone to teach you. Why did he say that? Because they didn't have a New Testament. They only had the Holy Spirit, and so they had to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach them the truth. But as the anointing teaches you all about the things, the Holy Spirit's our ultimate teacher, and as that anointing is real, not a counterfeit, so there are counterfeits. That's what he put on the table. There are counterfeits. Now, <clears throat> so how do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? He gives us two reasons. Actually, more than that, but I'm going to end up with two. He says, and because of that, you can call yourself the children of God, an adopted child of God. And he gives us, he, and there are two reasons. Number one, if you sin, you have an intercessor sitting at the right hand of God speaking on your behalf. You talk about a good lawyer, that's a good one. The other one is you have the Holy Spirit 
Even with groanings and terms that we cannot even comprehend interceding on our behalf to the Father. We have both the Holy Spirit and we have the Son of the living God interceding on our behalf. (coughs) Saying, they may be turkeys, Father, but they're my brothers, they're my adopted brothers and sisters, and they're your children. So welcome them into heaven. Now, here's what he says. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when the appearing, when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does this, <clears throat> does what right has been born of him. You can, he says, he, and he calls them dear children. You, my friend, if you have received the Holy Spirit, You have Jesus interceding, you have the Holy Spirit interceding, and you now have the title, a child of God. That's what I call a real winner. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray that you will bless this gathering of people, and if there's anybody here who isn't knowingly, consciously, purposely filled with inviting the Holy Spirit to be in, dwell in them As a repentant believer in Jesus Christ, we pray they'll not leave this building until that's become a fact, an act of faith. I commit these people to you, Father, for your caring and keeping, asking you to bless them in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all the people said, people, you're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.